Welcome to the Good Energy Project with Lou Connor, a surprisingly hopeful and upbeat show about economics, climate change, and our future on planet Earth. Kia ora, and welcome to the Good Energy Project. Today I'm going to be interviewing my good friend Hannah Wood. She's been a big support and conversation partner for me since I started this project. And after interviewing lots of really inspiring and knowledgeable experts, I'm really excited to be sitting here with someone I already know really well. I often find that it's in conversations with friends that the ideas I've been grappling with kind of come alive. We can stretch them and pull them and explore what it all means for our own lives. I also have some really exciting news, which is that I've been funded to continue the Good Energy Project for another year, until October 2024. I feel like I've spent my first year just getting my head around economics and climate change. And in the next year, I'm really excited to start to explore how I might be able to contribute. One of the focuses for the funding being renewed is speaking to more young people, since they, or maybe we, if I include myself, are the ones inheriting these challenges. Most of the people I've been talking to have already been established in their careers. But how do you establish a livelihood and career that contributes to the kind of world that I've been talking with people about, without burning out or going broke? I really want to learn about the experience and hopes and dreams and challenges of young people, and to find out what we can do to support young people, and also to see if we can create some opportunities for young and old people to meet together and share support and inspiration. One of the reasons I've invited Hannah for this conversation is that we've had lots of chats about the challenge of figuring out what to do with our lives, and also about the overwhelm and possibility of being in a world that's in crisis. She's 27, and she's at the beginning of her career or life path. She's someone that deeply wants to contribute to a better world. I feel like Hannah comes from a more noble world, where she would follow her destiny to embark on an epic quest to save humanity from disaster. She's incredibly smart, imaginative and dedicated. She won awards at school and university. But it hasn't been at all obvious or easy to figure out what to do in terms of study or career. We've had lots of conversations about this and how the mainstream systems and institutions don't really appeal or resonate. Like me, she wants to be part of an alternative world that's more gentle and caring for people in the planet. She studied ecology at university, has spent some time at an art college, and went through COVID when she otherwise might have gone travelling. She worked full-time as a mechanic for Lime Scooters for a while, and recently started training to be a paramedic. I think she'd be a great person to come to the rescue in an emergency but I have a feeling that this might be just one thread of her future. Welcome, Hannah. Thank you for having me, Lou. Ah, pleasure. Thank you for that beautiful introduction. (laughs) Well, um, you've been a real core part of making sense of of all these um, big topics as I've sort of travelled along. Yeah, I've loved all of our conversations and hearing from you about your thoughts and 
exploring thoughts together, I guess, mm, sometimes mm. creating new worlds. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. Um, so I might start with the questions that I always start with. And the first one is, do you remember what absorbed your energy or what you loved to do when you were little? Yeah, I, I do remember. I remember, well, I'm the youngest in my family and my siblings are all at least six years older than me. My older brother and older sister who I grew up with did spend a lot of time playing with me, especially my older sister and creating very intimate, imaginative worlds. Mm. But I also spent a lot of time by myself and with animals. I think animals were like probably my closest friends. Mm. And I, I liked other people, but I really liked spending time with the animals that lived at my family home mm. and wild ones, I guess. But sometimes I was like chasing or hunting them. Actually, as a young child, I quite liked the idea of going out and just surviving in the wild. So oh, I would, yeah. I would go and take like a little butter knife and um, a butter tra- knife, <laughs> yeah, and like just cross the the fields of the farm next to our house and track down these turkeys for hours and hours. Did he try and stab them? Well, I was trying to hunt them, yeah, but I could never get close enough. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so weird because later in my life, I like stopped eating meat. But I, I'm I can still remember that feeling of this hunt or something mm. um, that I felt as a kid. Mm. But I loved animals so much as well. So I think it was still kind of a loving act. Mm. And I would spend a lot of time playing with these little toy plastic animals I had. Mm. That would consume me for hours and hours and hours. They all had different characters and there was at least a hundred of them. And I would set them up in all these arrangements. They were all interacting with each other and had dynamics and I would hold all those characters in my head. And I didn't speak, really. They oh. all just spoke in my head. They were talking animals. Yeah, they were talking animals. Mm. Interesting that they're all animals. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't really like human characters. Mm. I did have a few, some mm. knights. <laughs> okay. And there was a, a king and a queen. Mm. But I liked them a lot less than the mm. animals. Mm. But sometimes they were allowed to be involved. Mm. Mm. And do you remember when you first became aware of money? Yeah. I have a, a memory just popped up in my head which is that my parents used to put quite a lot of coins into the little coin holder thing in cars, in in their cars. And I was probably like six years old or something and realised that it wasn't that hard because my parents didn't lock the cars to just go out when no one was watching and take all the (laughs) coins from those little pockets. And so over a few days I went and raided. There was like two... Two family cars, and sometimes there were other cars there, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Visitors can. (laughs) I don't know, because I remember doing it quite a few times to different cars until I had this big pouch of coins, Mm. and I was so proud of myself that I had so much money that I wanted to show it off, and so I went and (laughs) showed my parents and siblings that I had so much money, and (laughs) and then I immediately burst into tears because I I know I'd stolen it. And I'd kind of known the whole time it was a bad thing to do, a naughty mm. thing to do, but I'd also convince myself that it, it wasn't that bad because no one was stopping me and I wasn't hurting anyone. And what was the feeling like of having all that money? It, it felt really good, yeah, It kind of. Kind of in the way that things that aren't good for you feel good. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, ha-ha, like, <laughs> I, <laughs> I have all this money. Yeah, I've got all this amazing thing that... And I've got a big pouch of it, and I guess it, it felt like possibilities. Mm. You know, I could go to the 
dairy and buy heaps of chocolate with all this <laughs> money kind of thing. Yeah. Mm. But, but I, I really wanted to show it off. And then as soon as I opened up about it, I, I like burst into tears. And no, <laughs> no one even had a chance to say anything. Like, where did you get that? Or maybe I think that is how it happened. Mm. Somebody said, oh, how did you get all that money? <laughs> <laughs> and then you burst into and tears. I burst into tears. Uh, if only yeah. people in the world were like that. <laughs> if you ask them, where did you get that money? And they burst into tears. Yeah. Mm, and talked true. about how they dug up all the things from the earth. Mm, yeah. Or stole it from other people. Mm, mm. Hurt other people to get it and stuff. Mm. Do you remember becoming aware of the climate crisis? Yes. I can't remember the kind of exact moment when I was first aware of it, but it must have been some kind of educational thing. At school? At school, yeah, mm. because I was in fifth form, year mm. 11, and I just moved to St. Kennegan College from mm. Waiuku College, and I didn't know many people Maybe it was through my tutor because mm. he was quite environmentally minded. Mm. Like, a, yeah, he was a really lovely guy. Anyway, I did become aware of it and quite passionately. And I think f it started with mostly like rubbish and pollution. Ah, uh, yeah. And consumerism, I guess. But mm. I probably didn't use that word at that time. Mm. I was just thinking, wow, all this stuff. And it just goes in a landfill. And it just immediately I was struck with like, something's really wrong. Mm. Like we're doing this wrong. Mm. There's no cycle here. And you became aware of that in like when you're in year 11. Yeah. And I remember getting quite passionate. I'd get so angry at my mum for mm. buying single-use plastic mm. or bringing home plastic bags. Mm. And I was quite like intense about it to my, mm. to my family not really to my friends although I do remember thinking about it when I'd see them buy things or mm. and I basically was it, wasn't interested in buying things ah mm. was it like a general thing like did you feel like other people in your class were also worried about it or did it feel like something that you sort of woke up to and yeah it didn't feel like many people were interested mm. yeah there were definitely some a few people I met and that was maybe in the next couple of years when I mm. When I was still at school, but doing some leadership courses mm. or like meeting people from other schools for some kind of cool inter-school conference. And then yeah. I would meet other people who are really interested and passionate. Were you like part of environmental groups at school? Yeah. So my tutor ran a little environmental group and we did a rubbish audit. And we oh, were able okay. to get a yeah. few people from this, the school to participate, yeah. but not many people wanted to oh. dig through all the school trash mm, and mm. count everything and weigh it. But I, I was really fascinated with like, what is it that we're all buying and throwing yeah, out? Yeah, yeah. But no, there was actually some shame around it. I remember feeling like people thought it was uncool mm. and like a bit weird and gross that I, mm. like, why didn't I just want to buy nice things and mm. wear nice things? Mm. People kind of laughed and thought it was a bit silly as well. Ah. And I even remember in my final year, and I was like elected as a head prefect. Mm. And then I also wanted to be the environmental prefect. Yeah. Because that's when we were putting ourselves forward, we could tick boxes of things we're interested in. I was interested in head prefect, deputy prefect and environmental <laughs> prefect. Yeah. And I was so shocked to become head prefect. And then I said, can I also be the environmental prefect? And mm. the dean and the principal kind of scoffed. Oh, really? Yeah, they seemed to well, think. As if that wasn't good enough. Yeah, it felt to me as though they thought, oh, no, you'll be too busy doing this stuff and mm. I don't know why you'd want 
to be involved mm, with. Interesting. Yeah. I don't know if that's how they felt, but I definitely sensed some kind of like it was very lesser and mm. just a little add-on and mm. not a very important thing mm. to think about or care about compared to other more successful. Yeah, sort of like I don't know what head prefects do. but Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I remember from high school that it – I was really interested in it, but it, it felt like other people were kind of laughing at it or thought it was just a bit mm. – mm. Silly. And how did that sort of interest, how did you pursue that or how did it develop as you went through school and then um, after school? Hmm. Well, it was a bit tricky really because I I didn't know where the lines were and I didn't know how to guide my behaviour because I felt quite extreme about it. Like Mm. I basically didn't buy things. I was really lucky to have parents who did provide me with most of what I needed, mm. but I didn't really go shopping for myself mm. or want to have items, that many items. Um, oh, it's so interesting. And even buying food and going to the supermarket and stuff, I wished I could just go and buy the things that were in cardboard or no yeah. packaging. Yeah, I felt really particular about all these little opportunities for plastic and mm. random stuff to come into my life and I didn't. And it, it sounds like upsetting. it could be quite crippling because it's so hard to live without yeah. those things, especially when you're figuring out what to do in life. Mm. Yeah, that was, I think that was quite crippling. And kind of an extreme mindset, felt like quite rigid. Mm. And then probably after high school, I pursued it in the sense of like being really interested in biology. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. But I had this quite, it really vilified humans as well. Uh, I yeah. thought humans were like, ruining everything mm. and quite a lot of like anger and a bit of lack of love I think mm. for humanity mm. Mm. and is that kind of why you studied biology because it's and it reminds me of how much you loved animals growing up yeah yeah exactly yeah I wanted to immerse myself in the world of animals and trees and fungi yeah and right. as I went along like learning more about microbiology as well mm. not that I studied microbiology but learning about soil Oh, yeah. Yeah. And just all this life that's there and I guess all the genetic variability mm. that lives in these tiny organisms. Oh, yeah. And, and I also had this really deep appreciation for diversity. Through the studying biology? Mm, I, I probably must have had a little seed of it. But yeah. then, yeah, studying biology just kept widening it mm. open. And I think it, that also related a little bit to my discovering my sexuality as well. Ah, yeah. Can you tell me about that? Yeah. Well, yeah. Like, how did it relate? On how did it relate? I guess it was kind of, you know, finding your own uniqueness mm. and mm. the way you love and relate to people mm. and your own expressions of self. And and it's not sort of like the model that, that yeah. we've been shown. Yes, because... I recently spoke about this with my mum. She yeah. brought it up in front of like lots of other family members. How when I was quite young, in primary school, I think maybe ten or eleven, I was discussing with her like my whole life plan, and <laughs> I just had a few details I was trying to iron out because okay. I was slightly. <laughs> what confused. was it? It was like finish primary school, finish high school, go to Palmerston North to study to become <laughs> a vet. Yeah. Um, Your dad's a vet. Eh? My dad's a vet, yeah. Mm. And I'd even planned out how to make enough money to pay for my vet school. Oh, wow. How, how are you going to do it? Well, I'd already had a few calves for calf club. 
mm-hmm. and my parents had like 35 acres that mostly had sheep, but it was mostly, it wasn't really like, I don't know, I guess I must have just assumed I'd be able to use the land if I wanted to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I already had a few calves from Calf Club and then if I got one every year and then also... At so the you're certain, basically going to become a farmer while you're at school. Yeah, and each year and what age should sell the cows and yeah. all these things. Which is interesting as well because later in life I've found the idea of making money from animals like mm. an idea I'm mm. really not interested in. Mm. But it seemed like as a young person you kind of perceived how the world worked, like Mm. you needed to get money in order to follow your path that you'd decided on. Exactly, and I'd planned it all out for the whole amount of years I had, every cow, how many calves they have, (laughs) what age you could sell them, what money you might need to invest to buy the next calf that next year, and and then I I figured that by the end of high school I'd have enough money to pay for my whole studies. Oh, wow. And then what was your plan after that? Then I would get a year or two work experience somewhere in Aotearoa, and then yeah. I imagine I'd move to Canada, which oh, wow. I think is also what my dad did. Yeah, I was pretty much copying his life plan. Yeah, I have a bit of a overseas experience. Hopefully, at some point within that graduation time, meet a lovely husband. <laughs> 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 then we'd move back here and yeah, like maybe work a little bit more to, and establish a home, mm-hmm. have some kids. Um, yeah, then it kind of ended and this was all, this was what I was telling my mum. Yeah, how old were you when you had this plan? About 11. Oh, right. Mm. Yeah, and yeah. so you were saying your mum told a whole bunch of people? Yeah, just like last week. Yeah, <laughs> okay. I think she just thought it was interesting. But yeah, I must have just internalised this message of that's what life is, mm. you know, mm. and that's what you have to do. Mm. Um, so I guess there was this discovery and it happened just towards the end of high school that I started to like kind of notice feelings of attraction Mm. like that weren't just towards the boy that looked like he would be a good fit kind of thing (laughs) yeah yeah Mm. but that was just an inkling and I was very focused on my studies so I didn't really let it like overwhelm except in my dreams I would (laughs) have some dreams and think hmm that's odd (laughs) yeah yeah then basically I was filling out applications to go to different universities Mm. and lying in bed and I was at boarding school at this time Mm. and I couldn't sleep and usually I I would fall straight asleep Mm. and just staring at the ceiling thinking, I don't want to become a vet. Oh, wow. And basically that thought just unraveled all the other plans. Wow. Just unraveled everything. Yeah. And And then what did you do? At that time I thought, I need to move to Wellington. (laughs) <laughs> Did that just pop in? Yeah. Why Wellington? I think I just must have, I didn't even, I don't even know if I'd visited Wellington. Oh, And wow. I didn't know almost anything about this place, but mm. I think it just represented to me a place of like alternate possibilities mm. and, and queerness. Ah. And I don't know where I would have picked that up actually, because mm. no one had really spoken to me about that. Mm. But yeah, maybe it was just my intuition. So this was like out of this plan these tiny inklings of diversity mm. kind of started to pop up. Yeah. So did you go straight to university from school? Yes. Mm. Yes, I did. And you went into biology? And media studies. Oh. Yeah. Why, why media studies? Well, those were just my two favourite subjects at high oh, school. Okay. So basically I'd been planning everything to go to vet school and mm. taking the three sciences mm. and English and maths and media studies was like a little fun one on the side kind of subject. 
yeah, and so then I thought, well, I don't know what I'm doing anymore, but my favourite subjects were biology and media studies. Mm. So I'll do two degrees, mm. one in biology, one in media studies. Yeah, yeah. So that's what, like, I enrolled in. Mm. Pretty sure I changed my enrolment, like, 15 times or something. Oh, really? Maybe, like, 12 times. Yeah, because having, like, stepped off the path, mm. what was that like? It felt, yeah, it was like a, well, I think it felt really good, to be honest. Yeah, it was like a lot more possibilities suddenly. But also, obviously, a sense of feeling like I had no idea what I was going to do mm. or mm. no plan. And I was someone who had really loved planning <laughs> Okay. until that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And at one point you went overseas and then also had an accident and... Yeah, so I was only, I only stayed for one semester. And that's basically where I did meet somebody who I thought, oh no, I really had feelings for her. Like, okay, this is interesting. And I did kind of panic mm. um, in a beautiful, exciting way. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it was a bit of a panic. And then, yeah, I remember having a conversation with her where I said, I think, you know, I really want to, I want to travel and maybe at the end of my studies I'll, Go and do some travel. Mm. She said, if you want to travel, just do it now. And I was actually in the position that I did have enough money to do that. Mm. Because, because of, of the cows? <laughs> <laughs> well, not kind of from the cows. And also I didn't pursue that whole plan with the okay. cows. But there was a bit of money from selling cows and from horses, actually. Oh. Yeah. I had bought and sold a few horses and made mm. a lot of profit from that. Wow. Yeah. So you, really lucky. So you went overseas? I did, yeah. I bought a one-way ticket to Bali. <laughs> Yeah, came home from my studies and my parents had like split up. So they didn't. Oh, wow. Yeah, so they were quite like involved in their own worlds at that time. They didn't really ask me that many questions or anything, Mm. which was kind of a blessing because I wouldn't have known what to say. (laughs) So I just stopped doing that, bought a ticket. I'm going to come home for like a month and then I'm off to Bali. And they were like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, which was nice. Because I remember you saying that was quite a pivotal experience and you had this accident and did you cut your eye? Yeah so I'd only been there for three days. I hadn't even let anyone know that I knew from home that I'd arrived safely or anything Mm, mm. but I'd been having a great time for three days (laughs) and I'd made some friends at a hostel and they were going surfing and I went with them and I'd never surfed before and yeah the waves were really quite big and there was a lot of people out there as well. Mm. This was in Bali and I'd already been surfing all morning and having a good time, but I was kind of quite tired. Then I remember thinking, oh, well, I'll just go out and try to catch a few more waves and like try stand up properly a few more times. Mm. Went out there <clears throat> paddling out and there was just this giant wave coming at mm. me. I thought, I have, what am I going to do? <laughs> I was so scared. Yeah. And I thought, I really don't know what to do in this situation. So I just turned the board around and just lay on it thinking I'll kind of just boogie board back in. Yeah. Next second, the wave does catch me is huge and push surges me forward with all this force straight into the front of someone else's board oh, with my shit with my right eye oh my gosh the, the board dug into your eye yeah just smack blunt force shit and ripped off like my top eyelid basically oh my gosh and i think briefly knocked me out because oh. next thing i was just kind of washed up on the shore yeah and i remember thinking that my brow bone had been crushed in And that I probably looked really different now. Mm. And so I covered up that eye Mm. with both my hands and just marched up the beach, dragging my surfboard Mm. behind me. 
and I must have just been fully covered in blood mm. because I remember hearing scre- people screaming, mm. shark attack, oh, and whoa. like yeah. yelling and running and stuff. Oh, my gosh. And looking down at my body and it was just bright red. The whole mm. – I was in togs, but so quite a lot of skin mm. and just all that skin was just covered in my face blood. Mm. Mm. Oh. <laughs> Did you go home at that point or – um, yeah, I, luckily I had travel insurance. They decided it was best for me to have medical treatment back home. But then I couldn't fly for about six days because mm. I had to find these different specialists to sign off that my eyeball wouldn't fall out of my face. Oh, in my plane. gosh. Yeah. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> because I broke, I'd shattered my orbital eye bone, which is oh. this, like very thin bone that surrounds the back of your eyeball. Mm. Um, so you were just sitting in a hostel or something? Yeah. Well, I'd had it stitched up and I'd had this huge bandage put on. Mm. Um, and, yeah, I did some beach walks and I remember a little kid seeing me and screaming. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I had – yeah, just over the few days I had to kind of taxi around the island finding mm. these different medical specialists mm. who would sign off. Um, that was really a difficult time, actually, because mm. it was like I didn't feel good and I had a terrible – terrible concussion Mm. the bright sunlight was really intense and yeah kind of didn't know what my face was going to look like because I still Mm. hadn't really seen under the bandage Mm. Mm. how did that affect you well I went back to Tamaki Makoto and was with my parents again and I remember taking some really sad looking selfies on my laptop (laughs) yeah of all this bruising and in the, in the dark and stuff. So I think I was just very sad. And then I thought, well, what am I supposed to do here? Like I planned this whole adventure and day three I got injured and now it's over. That mm. doesn't seem right. Mm. And called my travel insurance and they were also willing to just pay for a flight back. So, back to Bali? Yeah. Oh, so wow. I was home for two weeks oh, and wow. then I just went back. And oh. it was good because I got a chance to repack. Yeah. Knowing a bit more like what I actually wanted to take with me. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I went back. Mm. Which, but I didn't know I had a concussion and I think I sort of slipped through the cracks a little bit with the medical care here because it happened overseas mm. and like there wasn't really any one medical professional who spoke to me or mm. there was just a few people who checked so you specific kind of, things. you went back to Bali with the concussion? Yes, mm. yes. And then a week later after that, so this is about four weeks since the injury, mm. I went because I was just, I'm going to enjoy my travels. I'm just right yeah. back into it. I w- did have this bandage, but people thought well, that was, it was cool. They're like, a pirate your face. <laughs> yeah. So it was always a good way to meet people because mm. they were like, what's wrong with your face? <laughs> How did that happen? Mm. And I still had bruising and a bit of swelling in this big bandage I would just wear over my eyebrow. Yeah. So I was scooting around and like visiting places and I went to this beach rave and was a bit drunk and then... I can't say I was completely naive. Like I should have expected some kind of experience to happen, but I didn't know what to expect. And Mm. somebody gave me magic mushrooms for the first time. Oh, wow. Yeah, which was really apparently not a great thing to do when you have a recent concussion. Oh, gosh. And like brain trauma. So it was a very intense trip. Mm. And that I think that affected me. In terms of like the concussion probably would have already had a bit of an effect on changing the way I thought because – it was brain trauma, but yeah. mixing in this really intense magic mushroom trip. Yeah. 
so that you, altered me forever, I think. You didn't just step off the path. You stepped off and then exploded out of the whole region of the path. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because it was so, like, cosmic, this. Mm. It also had some, like, quite Christian themes. Like, oh, really? Because at this rave, I took the mushrooms and then I just started dancing, like, in the same way I had been dancing before. But then it turned into this, like, trance dance. Oh, right. And the spinning and thumping and stomping mm. and, like, all these people around me and the lights of the, the play because it was an outdoor kind of party. Mm-hmm. The lights all kind of swirling and all the faces swirling and mm. me just swirling and swirling and swirling until I, like, went into, like, into the trance state, I think. Mm. And then suddenly it was nighttime, but this huge beam of light oh just, my like, gosh. came down from the sky. Yeah. Just, I was just like being filled up with this light, but I had the strong impression that I was to pass it on to the chosen one. Oh, really? Yeah, and I had to find the like I was a vessel for the light, but yeah. it was it needed to go to somewhere else. Yeah, and then I was like, "That's my mission. I have to find in the chosen life one." Kind of thing, or just for that night? Just in that moment, like I was yeah. so present in that yeah. moment. Yeah. yeah, in that moment, that was all I was aware of was that I had received the light and I had mm. to find the chosen mm. one. And then I'd look around this party and everybody's eyes were just these black holes of devil. Oh, my gosh. Like trying to taunt me. Or not, no, they were trying to trick me into th- making me think they were the chosen one. Oh, wow. So I had to have this discernment. And that was so spooky to suddenly yeah. be surrounded by all of these characters that were really just the devil but in the, all these different forms. Oh, wow. All saying, give me, like, give me the light. <laughs> and I, no, no, no. And then I eventually saw this local woman who must have just been walking home from mm. work or something. And, yeah, I still feel really quite bad about this because it must have been so shocking for her. But mm. I just, like, sprinted over and grabbed her shoulder, like, mm. grabbed her shoulders from in front and just beamed the light at her because oh, she wow. was the chosen one. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then I think that's when other people were like, whoa, what are you doing? Yeah. And started chasing after me and yelling at me to stop. Oh, wow. And that was so scary mm. that they were chasing me. And I just sprinted up this gravel, this long gravel road all the way back to where I was staying. Mm. Ripped my feet to pieces doing oh. that. Because they were riding motorbikes chasing me. And, and you were just, on bare feet. Yeah, just bare feet sprinting. Gosh. Mm. Yeah. But you sort of ended up back at your accommodation well, I'd forgotten to take anything with me because I'd also been riding a scooter and had stored mm. it in the seat of the scooter, mm. my key and everything. Mm. Um, so I couldn't get into my room, mm. but some people I was traveling with were in the room next door and I just smashed on their door until they let me in Whoa. and then ran in their bathroom and locked myself in there. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then did you keep on traveling after that? Yeah, I did. I did keep traveling after that. Yeah, it was quite odd though. Like I didn't really know how to integrate that whole experience mm. into my psyche and like who I was. It didn't make any sense. Mm. Like the person I'd been and then to have that experience, mm. it had no way of integrating. Mm. Because after that there was like six hours of like visions and oh, really? kind of time traveling and like – oh whoa. Yeah, all this quite spooky stuff. Yeah. And the next morning when I woke up, I just, I figured it had all been a weird dream. Yeah. Until I looked in the mirror and my face was so swollen from crying. Oh. And I just looked so different. Mm. Um, and I had all these kind of injuries from squishing myself into small spaces mm. or running on the 
road. It was just like, I have no idea what that was. And I didn't know how to, how to make any sense of it at all. Mm. And the people I was with, I said, oh, I'm really sorry about last night. Did that all really happen? And they, they just looked at me quite gravely like, yes, <laughs> it did happen. And then we didn't speak of it again. Oh, gosh. So it was like. So you couldn't talk to anyone about it? Yeah, it was hard to process it. If we sort of like go back to the topic of climate change Mm. and yeah, sort of like your journey on this path and being so passionate about the environment when you're little and having this very distinct path and then thinking, oh, I don't want that and stepping off and then having this like huge experience. Mm. Yeah, how do you relate to, how do you relate to the whole like what that meant for me yeah and Mm. well I think it was a really I think it was kind of like an initiation into a wider way of viewing the world and maybe even yeah and more than the world like the spiritual world the the universe the multiverse like Mm. it just blasted open Mm. these possibilities in quite a violent way but Mm. I think it helped me to loosen Ah. loosen my grip a little bit because Mm. I did think that you could just order and plan your way through life and through challenges Mm. and quite single-minded and determined like Mm. not not a lot of questioning or pondering Mm. you just know what you're supposed to do because that's obvious Mm. because it's these simple clear things and then also well it wouldn't make any sense to ruin the world that you're trying to live in Mm. Or polluted, having big piles of rubbish, that doesn't make sense. Mm. That's not good for anyone. But it was all quite constricted, the way of thinking about it. So I think it allowed me to sense into more subtlety, I suppose. Mm. Also maybe a little bit of a sense of like dark energy Mm. and destructive energy. Mm. and Kind of like what we're up against. Yeah. Yeah, and that there are like that is quite treacherous out there because I also had a very, very idyllic childhood. Mm. Like I think I'm just so lucky. My placing in the family is the youngest. So by the time I was born, my parents were quite secure financially. And yeah, and I, I think I, I was received a lot of love from people around me. Mm. Mm. So I think I was very sheltered mm. in a sense as well, like very safe and in a little nest. Mm. Yeah, so it was also this kind of understanding of their treacherous nature of this Mm. place we're in that it's like a lot more complicated yeah yeah and dark and scary yeah but but I don't remember coming out just feeling scared though I was also like hmm there's also this access to this vastness yeah so in relation to climate change I guess it went away from the numbers and the figures and the like let's count all the pieces of rubbish and Mm. let's order them and recycle them appropriately and yeah into more of a like, hmm, what's going on here? What's going on underneath? Yeah, what's bubbling away? What's what, causing yeah. that? And what forces are like manifesting in these ways? Mm, mm. Yeah. And kind of like in relation to that, how have you chosen a career path or a study path? How have those choices been well, influenced? I think the study of ecology which I came back after my travels and restarted that degree. I only did that for one semester, actually, and then just worked full-time at a phone repair store. Okay. Which I liked some of the time. But 
also struggled with at other times. And then I enrolled at the Learning Connection. Mm. That was such an interesting and beautiful thing to do. And I think it really helped me to heal. The Learning Connection is the art yes, college? Yeah, art college, yeah. Mm. And I'd never thought of myself as a creative person. Ah, interesting. And then yeah. being able to just spend all that time being creative yeah. and making things, I think is the best choice I've ever made in my life. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's such a cool place to just spend some time and get to know yourself and heal. Mm, mm. Quite a gentle place. Mm. Um, sorry, what was the question? Uh, how you've chosen a career path and a study path? Because oh, you went yeah. back and studied after that. Yeah, so I did end up finishing a degree in ecology. Mm. And I think that came from this protection in it, oh, feeling. Yeah. I really mm. just wanted to protect because I, I feel like all the living things on this earth are our kin. Mm. And I wanted I wanted to protect them. Mm. And I still do, but it was also really hard knowledge to learn mm. about all the destruction and death and extinction. And it was really sad. It's very depressing. And like, yeah, because how did that affect you to be exposed to that knowledge? Um, honestly, quite hopeless. Mm. Yeah, because it just feels like people have been trying to alert the wider community to the destruction that's occurring and the downwards trend slide of death and extinction mm, of all these species mm. and people don't listen. Mm. Some people listen. More people listen every day, I think, but mm. so much has already happened. It just feels like how many times can you scream into the void, like, mm. emergency, mm. why doesn't that work? I don't know. I don't know why that didn't. Yeah. Maybe it is working. I'm not sure. Like, this yeah. is just from my perspective. Yeah. But, but what, how did you, what did you do with that hopelessness? And what choices did you make? Mm, honestly, it's brought me... I think I've come around to have a lot more love for humanity. Mm. Oh, how did that happen? Because I don't... I think I empathise, like... It's not because that's how how I felt, and when I first discovered the environmental crisis in mm. high school, like why don't these people care? That's so heartless of them. Mm. How could they not care? But I think I now understand, like that it's not that simple. Mm. And just because you care about something uh, and feel it really strongly in that moment doesn't mean everybody will. And people are going to feel different things at different times. Mm. But I feel like. They still have huge hearts mm. and, you know, like, yeah, just really loosening, again, my ideas of what it means to be a good person doing the right thing. Mm. Just seeing the little ways people care in, in different mm. ways at mm. different times. Yeah, I think that's been such an interesting shift. And also maybe to see hum humans into my view of the animal world. Oh, yeah. Like. That we are also part of. The animal world. Yeah, the living world. Yeah. Well, I've always felt that way and felt frustrated that people separate us out, mm, mm. have the study of biology as though it's this whole separate <laughs> thing of the living world that mm. humans can just look at Yeah, yeah. from the outside. Yeah. But I must have also internalised that view as well mm. because I've noticed feeling like i just falling in love with what our species is like <laughs> yeah. and our funny little... Well, not that funny or little, but, uh, you know, some of our traits yeah. and our self-awareness and ego and, like, those are interesting things. In the same way you look at 
another species that does behaviors that you think, whoa, mm, mm. like they eat their babies or like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like something yeah. like that. And it's kind of shocking mm. and hard to love. But I, I'd always had still had this kind of awe for it. Mm, so I mm. feel like I'm extending that now to humans as well. Oh, that's amazing. And what about, because um, we've been talking about the Good Energy Project since mm. the beginning and what is it about that topic of economics that well, resonates with you or that feels important? Well, I think that's something I've been learning from you really is mm. getting this chance to reframe, reimagine or have my own conception of what economics is mm. as opposed to just some uh, assumptions I'd made about mm. that topic and it being dry and not really my field or these kinds of people study economics <laughs> yeah. and are interested in commerce and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And now seeing it more as a, I guess, a process, like an exchange and, it, and it's just a word and it can refer to like so many behaviours and flows of energy or mm. of resources, of time, mm. of people and its consequences, and basically that we all participate in it, mm. whether we want to or not. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. sort of like the thing we're in. Mm. Yeah. Either we're aware of it and maybe having some influence or we're just being influenced. Mm. Mm. Especially in the modern like Western world that I've grown up in and you have a bank account and mm-hmm. you have to pay for things mm. Mm. with money. Mm usually from your bank account and maybe from <laughs> coins. <and power>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah. like, yeah, and just thinking, okay, well, I don't want to just like passively participate in something that I think is so destructive. Yeah. But I see the the, the destruction. Um, what would you be part of or help to create if you could do anything in the world? I would want to be part of and help to create, and I feel like we already are, to be honest, Yeah, a world where, hmm, where you're in touch with the people that you connect with and live with and, and interact with and do commerce with. Mm. You're in contact with the resources that come and go from your life, and you, you're like integrated like Mm. the choices you make you build things that you want to build and Mm. you're part of flow that is meaningful to you Mm. and that you actively want to say yes to you know I imagine it's like a journey where you um if you were in a landscape where it was just like a big swamp and I like swamps actually (laughs) but this is like quite a polluted swamp Mm. And you're just kind of sinking and being sucked in and like it's heavy and it pulls on you and mm. and it's muddy and you feel like you can't move. And like mm. these other people are kind of like out of the swamp and they're just like shoveling the shit onto you. And oh, like, no. Is just, that what it feels like sometimes? Yeah. yeah. And you're stuck and you don't know what to do. And like and then if you could kind of like get out of that and move to a – just move to the environment's – that feel more alive. Mm. Um, we can move. Yeah, you can move and you can have more respect. I think it's hard if you're not, if you're being kind of used. Mm. And I think we just pass on things that like, so it ends up just 
you use others and you disrespect mm. others and you disrespect anim- like animals, animals in your life and you disrespect your food and or your the trees around you like it all keeps kind of mm. mixing together in a horrible mm. way and I feel like if you can um Mm. Wash yourself. Yeah, just gently like care for the things around you mm. and receive and give in a much more beautiful way. In a way, it feels like quite a simple vision. It's not like we're going to build this very successful big thing. Like no, yeah. At school, you excelled and you like won prizes and stuff. Yeah. But it seems like now. Your vision is more just almost qualitative, like it's a, about how we relate to each other. And mm. Yeah, I think so. Because, like, it's really fun to win awards, but <laughs> they, don't, they, didn't feel, they didn't feel like they filled up my heart kind of mm. thing. Mm. Or, like, I didn't necessarily feel, like, satisfied mm. from those awards. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? But I'm not a particularly, like, material person. I don't necessarily, like, love having trophies or anything. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Plus, it's just, it's not that fun. It's also quite so, sep- it's quite separating. Mm. Like, oh, I yeah, won an award, but none of the, those people did. Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't want to really be separated out. Mm. I would prefer mm. to be included. Yeah. yeah. So it would be nice, you know, like, I think that's the feeling of this world I'm describing. Mm. It feels really interconnected because mm. I just want to be, I just want to feel connected to people because when I have felt moments of deep connection, that's like what I live for. Mm. I just mm. think, wow, this feeling is just like, this is a reason to be alive. So, oh, yeah. Um, and it's, it's quite enlivening. Plus, it's like multidimensional. You, just, <laughs> you can kind of see, and I feel like that's what it's like to be with you, Lou. Mm. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, it's like we get to be here together, and <laughs> it's and it feels so nice and friendly and mm. like warm and home. And it also feels like it extends out into these mythical worlds. Oh yeah, and we can create stuff. Yeah, and those worlds they interconnect because it feels like we we can sit here together talking mm. in these bodies and. At the same time, like our noble selves <laughs> in a mythical kind of world of knights <laughs> and mountains yeah. and maybe some dragons. Yeah. Because I don't see the dragons as villains, though, by the way. And I'm not trying to slay any dragons. Um, are there as well. Doing, yeah. Doing yeah. some stuff right now. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, what do you feel like you're up against? Mm, if not dragons, what are we up against? Yeah. Um, I think we're up against, I think we're up against a really draining energy, like a, yeah, that feeling, that sucking, pulling, which mm. I've, I've definitely, by the way, taken from our friend Pip, <laughs> those are <laughs> the words she used. Mm. Um, and, yeah, and I think it's, it may be, hmm. There are certain people, I think, who I'm not sure for what reason. Mm. Maybe they're possessed or something, but they're thriving mm. on draining people. Mm. I don't know who they are. To be honest, I don't really meet people like that. This is mm. just kind of in my imagination. Mm. But I have a sense that it 
it, they might exist. But also the feeling, the, what it does to people and mm. the kind of the shell it makes of people, really, because their life force is being sucked away. Mm. And so then they're kind of like zombies. Yeah. And it does feel like, and I have felt this way myself as well, we just walk around like shells of ourselves, mm. just doing our habits that are quite yeah, destructive. Yeah, this sort of survival mode thing of like, I mean, I'm very privileged and I have a job that pays, and but I have this sense of like a lot of the world just working, working, working to make enough money to pay for the things like food and home and it's mm. just kind of like this very tight. Yeah. I'm suddenly having this thought of like zombies with a little robo rat in the <laughs> brain like on a, <laughs> oh, yeah. on a like yeah. spinning wheel. Mm. So it's like the human part's quite empty and dull and then something's gone in the brain to make it hyperactive. Oh, yeah. And, it's like <laughs> and it gets it's fed these simple messages which is like, yeah, like, like make a bunch of money, like live fast, die young, <laughs> work hard, play hard. <laughs> like these yeah, kind of yeah. strange messages that mm. we just – Sometimes they're really fun and they feel good, but they're also like not very connected. Mm, mm. It's just this one Quite little... driven. Yeah, driven and this one little thing kind of spinning. Yeah. And what would help? What would help? Um, you know, I'm suddenly thinking of times when I've been with a group of friends and one person in the group gets an experience, maybe like massage or... Mm. Just to be covered in little leaves or daisies or something. <laughs> but like yeah. this shared group care, mm. just focused on one person to help uh. them relax mm. and heal and feel loved. And I think it's about having that moment to connect with yourself again and to really feel loved. Mm. And I think it really helps when it's like so centered and focused. You know, someone can mm. really receive it. Like you create a bath or a... Oh, nice. Yeah. This bowl of like to bathe people in that mm. feeling because I think the main one, something that's important is that you get a chance to feel it again. It's mm. so hard to aim for something you can't feel. Mm. It's a concept or there's words and there's so many words out there, people saying so many things. Mm. And I just think our poor little brains just don't know how to integrate all the knowledge yeah. or to make sense of it or or to choose a path or anything because it's like... Whoa. Too much. Yeah, way too much. I like the idea of this bath, of this sort of calming, loving, caring yeah. space for each person to be held in. Mm. Yeah, I'm reminded of the quote you said recently about finding the soft... Can you say it? The soft oh, um, who is it? It's um, Mary Oliver, and she said, you do not need to be good. You do not need to crawl on your knees for a hundred miles or something like that. You only need to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. Yeah. 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 Something like that. <laughs> hmm. That feels like a nice place to end. Hmm. Thank yeah. you for having me, Lou. Oh, thank you for coming. <laughs> no worries. Yeah, thank you for uh, being interested in random your stories epic, from my life. Your epic journey so far. Hmm. Thank you for sharing it. It's a real privilege. No worries. Okay. The show is also available as a podcast at thegoodenergyproject.substack.com.